Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back to talk about part two of the Ravens defense, and that, uh, sorry, the Ravens offense in that game against the Jaguars. Very frustrating loss, obviously. Frustrations on both sides of the ball. We talked about the frustrations on defense uh, with Jordan Coe. By the way, if you didn't listen to those, go back and download those. There's two parts out there, more than two hours of content, a lot of great stuff, and and, uh, Jordan's very knowledgeable. We talked in part one of of this show with Josh Reed, who's joining us right now, uh, about a lot of the things, a lot of the general notes about this game, some of the game management, some of the uh, way that Lamar approached the game, some of the failures in the red zone. Go down that that as well. I know you kind of get these in rapid fire on Tuesday and Wednesday uh, of each week, but this is a good opportunity to go back and and make sure you hit all four of these episodes. But Josh, how are you doing again? I'm doing great, Ken. Ready to roll for part two. Ready to roll for part two. I appreciate that. Need to thank our sponsor again, Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've been very good to us. Josh, your Twitter handle and your where people can find you online. 
Okay, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Reed nine zero seven on Twitter, and usually people from Alaska say nine zero seven, but you know for these purposes, I'll spell it out for you. It's uh, Josh Reed nine zero seven on on Twitter, and then you can read all my Ravens content at uh, Heavy on Ravens for Heavy Incorporated. It's uh, heavyonravens.com. dot com. All right, Heavy Heavy on Ravens. That's your own site. Or are you p- partnering with anybody? Oh no, that's that's um, that's not my own thing. Um, they they recruited me. They a uh, few a few. I, few months few months back they had actually been um trying to recruit me for a few years but um they finally 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 gave in and um yeah it's been it's been fun over there all right well very cool you're living the dream out, out there in Alaska in the 907 area code in Anchorage and you're working actually as a sports writer which is very cool to to get a job with a paper uh not easy these days <laughs> No, no, it, um, it, it, you know, it's it's pretty cool writing from my hometown, hometown paper, Anchorage Daily News. Um, it's actually becoming people ask me all the time now because I don't know if you heard about the show Alaska Daily that that came yes. out on on ABC. Yeah, so it's so it's it's loosely based on a paper that I work that I write for, and people ask me all the time, like, oh, are are you are you in the show? I'm like, actually, no. The events of that show took place prior to my employment there, but um. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's we're actually getting quite a quite a little bit of run just off off of that show alone. Well, very cool, very cool. I hear that show is good. We're we're gonna give it a try. We don't watch a lot of network TV, but uh, but that's worth a that's worth a shot. Let's get back to the Ravens though, and this this is obviously a frustrating um, result here. But let's talk a little bit of scheme here. Ravens are still running tons of counters as a way to stretch the line of scrimmage, and you know I've been of the opinion they 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 probably need to do some other things to stretch horizontally. Did a good job with Duvernay in this game with jet jet motion. They did not do a good job with Hill, and they don't really have another speed back currently that can stretch the line of scrimmage. It's Hill or nobody. Uh, and I think Hill had one carry, and I don't remember how many snaps he had, but it was a fairly substantial number for only having one carry. So Hill had 14 he was in for. So they, they did not get him, in my opinion, the kind of touches you need to make him the threat he should be to vertically, sorry, horizontally stretch that line of scrimmage. Yeah, and I've been I've been one of the people like in the, a lot of my writing lately. I've been really kind of pounding the rock for Justice Hill to get more involved because um, I feel like he's a guy who, who's who's great, you know, north and south and east and west, and makes the real nice decisive cuts, gets upfield real quick, and and has has more deceptive power than people will give him credit for for a guy of his size and frame. And uh, the fact that he only got one carry really kind of kind of kind of irked me a little bit. Um, like I was I was glad that Gus got the carries that he did because he's really efficient on short yardage. Um, you know, outside of you know that one goal line run where he got where he got stuffed for negative one yard, which really happens with Gus Edwards. But um, Gus, Justice Hill is a guy who I feel like if you give him more carries and kind of get him into a rhythm, you know, he's a real guy that can be really effective for you. Yeah, I I, I completely agree, and and honestly, he missed a, his chance for his biggest play of the day when on the we talked about it in the, in, in part one uh, sidecar run. Lamar made a bad read. Uh, held the ball himself, went for one yard on a run left. Lamar's going to make an occasional bad read. This was uh, a play where uh, if he had been looking at what Hill had rather than what he could have himself, which is that's the way he's supposed to read as a quarterback, is if he's got an opening that he thinks is pretty good himself, he can't be worried about reading the entire field at that point. Uh, Hill had an amazing setup on that right side that I think would have, uh, it potentially could have been a touchdown, but but it certainly would have been a gain of six or seven or eight yards at kind of at a minimum uh, on that play. So I, unfortunate, but uh, go take a look at it if you want to. It's on the RL minus one on the sixth drive of the game for the Ravens, the first drive when they're uh, in the red zone there. Uh, what do we want to talk about? Let's talk about uh, the, you know, one thing that, that's kind of getting me about this team is they really want to do a lot of zone blocking but they have a bunch of players who aren't real comfortable doing zone blocking. And it's just, it's not even a matter of they're not fast enough because in, in this game, one of the ones I noticed was McCary gave up a penetration by getting ahead of a zone blocking play. It's like, I, I got to find somebody to block. And rather than take his time to kind of move at the pace of the rest of the line, keep his right arm out, try and focus on nobody crossing his face, keeping the gaps relatively small, you know, allow for a cutback. He, he, he got out front of the play and then a moved right in before uh, behind him and made a quick tackle uh, to take down somebody. I forget it was Drake or it was, uh, it was Edwards for a loss. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I really, I really thought that Drake would have got more run this this game simply because you know they they like incorporating a lot of that zone stuff, and he's been pretty effective on on zone plays. He only got two carries in the game, and so I was a little surprised by that, especially with it being mm-hmm. Gus's first game back. I thought they weren't gonna. I mean give him 16 carries, like basically the full workload. I was a little taken aback by that, especially, you know, given that Drake has, has, has come on strong for them and really performed well in, um, in, in relief duty for, his, uh, for, for JK and for Gus. You know, that's a, that's a really good point because Edwards, 16 carries in 36 snaps. Drake, two carries in 18 snaps. Little different percentage there. I think we'd agree. Justice mm-hmm. Hill one carry in fourteen snaps. So basically, Gus Edwards was the designated runner. Yeah, that's it's 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 worse, frankly, than what they had with Mark Andrews, where when he was in the game in his rookie year and in his second year, he was in there basically as a designated receiver. He got a high percentage of targets uh, when he was in there, and and uh, you know they'd bring him in on obvious passing downs, and and that's it's some of what drove uh, Hayden Hurst out of town that he wanted to be that guy or he wanted to have a more integral part of the offense in terms of, uh, of, uh, you know, being used on passing downs, being a, a you know, more frequently a receiver. Uh, but, but with Hill and, and, uh, and Drake, uh, you know, Drake was, was a number one back when, you know, the Ravens didn't have any of their number one backs available. Now that Edwards is, is back. He's, uh, he's not getting as many carries, uh, certainly the rest of the way. And I think I was more upset by the fact that Hill got so few carries in this game. Yeah. And it's just like, man, like, you know, you, you just get Gus back and, and, and it's just like, you know, you just, you, you just got him back and you're like, why are you trying to run him so, so, so much, you know, it's almost, almost, almost like, you know, like you kind of discount all the contributions you got from your other backs. And then you talk about how justice has performed well and earned more carries, but then you don't give him more carries. <laughs> so it's kind of like you're kind of talking at two sides of your mouth right now. And it's like, you know, if you really trust this guy, like you say that you do, then let him tote the rock instead of giving your guy who's been banged up off and on for the past month and a half, you know, the lion's share of the, of, of the carries. Yeah, I c- completely agree. And, and I, you know, they've, they do so much counter right now. They, the Roman is so married into to pulling two instead of one. That uh, I think it's it's actually a detriment to a player like Hill. I think there's there's a lot of plays where a simple, uh, you know, guard pulling power play would be fine for Justice Hill in terms of of uh, of making hay, and he can he can bounce it when he needs to. Uh, he's he's you know got that kind of speed. He certainly threatens the edge of the defense, and by doing that, you also create some opportunities for Lamar Jackson right up the middle of the field anyway. Because even one guard moving is going to make linebackers move. You played linebacker, right? So pulling guard, mm-hmm. anything make you move more than that? No, you you you. That's that's where the ball's going. You know, you either try to fill that gap or follow that guard. Yeah, and then it's Lamar Jackson is the quarterback. You might be running yourself out of position, of course, to do that. Yeah, yeah. So you really got to be judicious with your read steps on those kind of plays. All right. Uh, another point I wanted to make was that the Ravens are still playing the heaviest formations in recent NFL history, maybe of all time, if you relativize to the typical amount of heavies played for the era. And I don't have any way to go back and check this. I'm just continually amazed that the Ravens can throw out these formations that include so many tight ends and fullbacks and an occasional sixth offensive lineman, but it's not even very often that. It's mostly adding up the tight end and fullback snaps from each game and dividing by total snaps. And this game, it's 2.33 heavies per play. I want to remind people again, the 2019 Vikings were the only team that approached 2.00 heavies per play in the last six years. So we're talking probably decades uh, in an absolute sense and maybe ever in a relative sense in terms of these being the heaviest packages in NFL history. There's just no other team that's that's approached the game of football like this in decades. Yeah, and when you got a Greg Roman offense and 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 the Rashad Bateman list receiving core, <laughs> I mean, you got you, you kind of got to lead into your strengths, which right now is your is your tight ends. You know, like I mean, that specifically in this game because they were without likely, but um, you know, like like Patrick Ricard, as much as people want to complain about, you know, how much he sees time on the field, you know, he's really one of the main dictators as far as like what this offense can do sometimes in the in the in the ground game and an underrated receiver in in, in the passing game. Like there are times that teams don't even account for him out there in the flats. And if you got that easy check down of 300, 
300-something pound. Which they always say 300-something pound, but the guy's not 300-something no. pounds. I, I, I'm 300-something pounds. I know what a 300-something pound look like, okay? And um, like they, they, they like to talk about his weight, but he's really, like I said, under an, uh, a great pass protector and an under uh, a good underrated underneath uh, check down option for Lamar. Yeah. Uh, they use their set and chip blockers a lot in this game. So they use their eligible receivers as set and chip blockers, I should say. Uh, 20 sets and 13 chips for 1.0 per play. Now, here's what's a little unusual about this is the Jaguars rushed four on all but eight of the, of the passing snaps. And yet the Ravens still found the need to do that. Now, oftentimes when we score the offensive line, so we see this happen play after play, the most common thing is you get a four-man pass rush and it's all free releases. And we literally say those things together. I say they show four, they bring it 4-0, all free releases. That means all the eligible receivers going out, no set or chip blockers. And so when we're recording this, we you know it's natural to notice the relationship between those two things. Now, the Jags do have some potentially very talented pass rushers who really haven't put the sacks on the board yet. Josh Allen uh, on one side, Trayvon Walker, who's the number one overall pick, of course, on the other. Um, that are often on the field together and, and, and are guys that, that, you know, I think there's a, there's a feeling that they should be chipped. And there certainly is, is more of a desire to protect Patrick McCary and, and Moses in this game. Uh, but they're doing a lot of set blocking as well. Just keeping an extra guy in oftentimes against four blockers against four rushers. So it's, it was an unusual kind of a game for over committing to pass blocking and trying to let, um, three receiver routes and four receiver routes um, be enough to create an option for Lamar. Yeah. And I, I, like, like you said, I really think it was more about giving McCarry more help just because like whenever they don't have their best pass blocker in the game, Ronnie Stanley, they want to get, they want to make sure Lamar, that Lamar feels, I think it was more for Lamar's, Lamar's psyche and, and, and kind of confidence in his pass protection more than anything else. Not that they didn't have faith in McCarry, but they wanted to make sure that the quarterback felt comfortable staying in the pocket for as long as he could to try to get the ball downfield. And um, it kind of, like I said, it kind of takes away, especially when they're on the rushing floor and they have more guys in coverage. It kind of takes away the kind of things you can do. You now you have more guys in coverage to cover, to cover your limited amount of receivers out in passing patterns. So it's kind of like a, all right, you know, like, yeah, you're, you're you're making Lamar feel confident in his pass protection at the same time. It's kind of this disadvantageous or advantageous for the, I should say for the, for the deep, for the opposing defense, because they have more guys to cover less guys. Yep. Yeah. You definitely, you get a, a much different relationship there. And once they figure out you want to do some things like that, they can do some additional tricks. Um, but they still were able to you know put a spy on Lamar Jackson. Some of the times occasionally effectively, Aluakon in particular was very effective at, at at taking down Lamar in space sometimes, and particularly when he moved laterally. So you know, yeah, they, like they seventeen were, tackles in that game. Yeah, yeah, that was outrageous. That was that was outrageous. He's a he's a real player, and you know some of the some of the guys the Ravens have faced at linebacker this year, and oftentimes you know we talk about the nose tackles who face Linderbaum and they're huge and whatnot. But one of the one of the problems Lamar has is with faster inside linebackers who are more, I'll say, of the Patrick Queen variety, you know, not necessarily the hardest hitters, but they're very fast getting to a spot and and they tend to be good tacklers. Uh, but JOK uh, is is one guy who gives Lamar fits and Luakon is another who's a who's a very good one. The, the both of the Bills linebackers, both Milano and and Tremaine Edmonds uh, yeah. are, are are players of that type who I think are are you know are, naturally will give Lamar a lot of trouble uh, doing that sort of thing. Uh, tell you what, let's move on to the offensive line at this point. I want to talk about about each player in, in a little bit of detail uh, as we roll through this. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, let's give me give me your thoughts on, on Patrick McCurry. We've been talking about him for half the show now. So, so <laughs> give me give me give me your thoughts on him. All right. Sounds good. I thought a solid game from McCurry. It's it's one of his better games of the season. Um, if he could play this average, the Ravens would be very fine with it. They 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 will, and the Ravens will do fine uh, if if he can play at this level for whatever remaining time that Ronnie Stanley's out. One point five penetrations, one pressure, one quarterback hit, a big offensive holding penalty that set him back. Lamar dug him out, you know, with the with the throw to uh, to Sean Jackson. Uh, but it was a big holding penalty nonetheless that that uh, definitely drilled his score a little bit. He only had two missed blocks in the game, which is really good. Uh, three blocks in level two, made all four of his pulls, which is nice. Uh, two highlights. 
Uh, C game overall, uh, you get a little more uh, leeway at tackle because tackles give up some pressures. They have to face the really good edge rushers. And uh, McCary was the highest adjustment I had of any player based on the fact that he was facing a lot of Allen and a lot of Walker in this game. Yeah, and like I thought, that was kind of like what one of the one of the key matchups that I kind of you know tabbed coming into this game was like you know like how many how many one on one opportunities was he going to get against their 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 top ten uh, draft picks there you know Josh Allen's former former Pro Bowler and Trayvon Trayvon Walker's had some nice showed some nice flashes this this um this season and so I thought I thought I thought McCary played over, uh, pretty they said. Almost, almost above average, you know. Given, given the given the lack of depth that the Ravens have had at, at tackle in the, in the past few years, he's played he's played well above average in my estimate in my estimation. But um, you know, he's kind of been as advertised. You know, the Ravens can't sing, can't say enough about Patrick McCarry and all the things that he brings to the table for this offense. And you know that the, they call him the utility. You know, the, the five position player. And um, you know, he's a, he's a really valuable asset, especially for the the, the cheap. The cheap amount of money that they're getting, that they're paying him for. I mean, for a guy who can play any position and all on, across across the offensive line, to only making what like I think he's only averaging like what three four million dollars a year is I think it's pretty awesome. I, I wanted to say it was like three years sixteen million they signed him for, but I may have it wrong. So it may have been four years sixteen million. So anyway, I, I agree with you. Is is the thing that that Patrick McCary is giving them. I say when he give if he can come in and play like an average left tackle, which I think is really what he's done so far, uh, maybe slightly below average, a C minus level. But if you have a guy who can come off your bench and do that at left tackle, that's more than almost any other team in the league can give you as your second left tackle. It's not what you want as your first left tackle. It's decidedly not what you want as your as your first left tackle. But uh, he's he's a very nice spare tire that is not too. Um, undersized for the rim, let's call it. You know how you get those little tiny <laughs> spare tires yeah. on some cars. He's he's not that. So uh, uh, he's better than he's better than a donut. I'll yes, that. that's uh, he's better than Alejandro Villanueva, who is a, a big man who is a small tire, nonetheless at left tackle. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's move on to Powers. And yeah, yeah. yeah. What I'll say is, I think he probably had his worst game of the year. Uh, actually, his second worst game of the year. The opener, he was worse. Uh, but this game, he'd been playing very well, and he'd been playing very well for a long time, in particular as a pass blocker. Um, he had problems mainly as a run blocker in this game. Two and a half penetrations allowed, but also allowed two pressures. Uh, he, he, he got beat twice on pulls, where he just was not quite quick enough, which led to a very low pulling score for the game, only eight of a 15 possible pull points. And those those plays are often important. And, and they were important in this game because they, they ended up resulting in two penetrations on the two missed blocks that he, uh, on, the, on the two pull blocks that he missed, or on two of the pull blocks that he missed. Um, he split another penetration with McCary on a play. Two pressures allowed in the game. Uh, got backed up on a play where he just got a zero that caused a big, three-car pileup that involved, I don't know if you saw it, Moses getting uh, pancaked to the ground off his own thing. The Ravens have not yeah. had pro- troubles with that. They've been they've been very good about, uh, in the past few years, of having their interior offensive linemen not getting backed up and obstructing poles. And I, I, I accounted most of that due to footwork, but it's also, you know, particularly when you want to run counter and you've got a tackle pulling, your guard, if he gets backed up pretty quickly, can give your your tackle on the opposite side problems, and that's what exactly what happened on the Moses play. Is um, the 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 center was was able to get by him, but uh, but he got he, uh, the backup on Moses uh, hurt, and uh, and Moses went flying, and and the play got stopped because of it. And I think that was the the run for minus one by Edwards that you mentioned either in the show or in the first. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team 
drank other stuff, and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take liquid death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take liquid death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Yeah. And, and and the thing about Powers is, you know, he's, he's, he's a almost like McCary in a sense. He's a very solid player, you know, a very, very solid player. Um, and people will always want to clamor that, you know, like, oh, when just get Ben Cleveland in the game, he's, he's, he's nasty or he's this and he's that. But, you know, it, as far as like when it comes, when it comes to run blocking, I, I, I honestly think that, that, that uh, Powers is the better run blocker at this stage of his career than, than Cleveland is. Cleveland's a pretty good, pretty good, um, he has a lot more upside as, as, as a pass protector than than um than than Powers does right now just because of his, his sheer size. And but I feel like a guy like like Ben Powers is like a really well-rounded player right now. Switch and he's having like I said, this may have been his worst his worst game since week one, but he's really having a solid season overall. And I just think that you know sometimes he just doesn't have enough sand in his pants to kind of hold 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 that hold that anchor in the middle of like like I said that kind of leads to those pile-ups. Uh, that that certainly has been a problem, but I, I, I do want to make this point out because this is an important distinction I make regularly between powers and, and not to pick on Linderbaum, but but their 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 results are so similar but flipped that they can really get at what's valuable as a player here. But Ben Powers is he was the number one ranked guard as a pass blocker coming into this week. He didn't have a really great pass blocking week. He dropped the third overall by uh, by the PFF scores, but it's close. Joe Tooney is at eighty four point six, Michael Onwayno at eighty four point five, and Ben Powers at eighty four point two. So if you believe them and you don't want to believe my system, PFF is saying the same thing I am. Is basically what I'm telling you. As a run blocker, fifty point two. Okay, that's bad. Sixty is is kind of an average. If you if you get a zero on the old PFF scores, you probably get a sixty over a, over a long longer period of time. Um, and basically, those numbers are reversed for Linderbaum at center, who's got a really good run blocking number and a really bad pass blocking number that is near the bottom of the league. And it, the, the problem is, pass blocking is what's really important. Run blocking is less important. And unfortunately, a player like Powers is just, he's, he's more valuable right now. I'm not saying trajectory. I'm not saying, you know, they're going to lose him probably next year because he'll he'll be signed out of here with the season he's had. But, you know, Linderbaum's play, run and pass blocking are not equivalent. And and if you if you have a system that, that makes him that way, it's like combining slugging an on-base into a single OPS number. It really undervalues what on-base percentage is. So... Think of his pass blocking is on base percentage, run blocking is slugging percentage. Uh, people love to watch home runs, I know, and that's that's some of what you know Linderbaum gives you. But Powers is has been the more effective overall blocker because he's a better pass blocker. See in this game anyway for Powers. Okay, you want to you want to head, head to Linderbaum next since we were already already on sure. On the topic? I've kind of kind of already rolled all over. Linderbaum had a really good game, by the way. Um, surrendered one pressure. Uh, which is good. It, it probably was just about his best game of the year. Uh, had had seven missed blocks. That's a lot for a center, and six of them were losses at the line of scrimmage. Uh, but by and large, he didn't lose badly enough that he was causing uh, pressures or causing losses on run plays, either of those things. So even though the losses at the line of scrimmage were a high percentage of his total missed blocks, uh, which is bad. It, it was it was generally a very good passing game for him, and one pressure has been much better than he's been doing on average uh, in games. I, if people who who know how I grade know I have a tougher standard for pressures than what PFF does. Uh, I require a three second uh, clean pocket, and they require two and a half. So it's a big difference there. Uh, he went five for five on his pulls in this game. He blocked well in space, which he always does. Three blocks in level two. Uh, a nice highlight uh, play that was a combination block. Uh, snaps were solid again in this game, so he didn't have a, a, a deduction for anything like that and a B overall. And, and like I said, I think this he might have had one game better uh, for the year, but I'm just going to take a quick look at my overall stat sheet here. And yes, he did have one game better. It was against New England in week three. Otherwise, um, he had 
one game that was equivalent at a .88, and that was in week five against the Bengals. So second, tied for the second best game of the year for Linderbaum. So uh, fine game, and, uh, and, and great to see him uh, improve his pass blocking a little bit in particular in this one. Yeah, yeah, there there wasn't, you know, that guy on the interior defensive line for the Jaguars that you're really afraid of. And so yeah. I, I didn't really think that it was he was going to have too much trouble in this game. And I, I, I figured it'd be, it, it, it ended up being one of his more higher graded games. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, unfortunately, you don't get to face a line with know that guy very often. You know, it's, they're going to have to face Pittsburgh twice and they get Cam Hayward twice. And, you know, they obviously got Vita Vea and Dexter Lawrence and, Quinn and Williams and and a whole bunch of other monsters. Uh, but when you really look at everybody's roster, you know there, there's you know fifteen or eighteen teams that have some really dominant big guy in the middle of that line somewhere, who you know probably other other defensive coordinators going to try and line up on Leonard Baum. So you know you're 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 really in a position where even if the guy might be a three tech normally and he might play against a guard. He might get lined up against Linderbaum as a zero sum in some passing situations because you know they, they want to take advantage of that relationship. Yeah, I'm not sure if the I'm not sure if the, like who the Broncos have coming up here as, as as that guy, but you know their defense overall has been pretty been pretty pretty solid this year. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Kevin Zeitler, who unfortunately did not have a good game. Three full pressures allowed. Uh, that's not usual for a guard. It's definitely not usual for Zeitler to allow that much pressure. He's been having a great year. He didn't have any game worse than a C so far. Uh, 11 missed blocks. Now, that's really Oof. bad. And it, was a, it wasn't any one thing because he only had three losses at the line of scrimmage. So he missed pulls. He missed blocks in level two. L2NB is a, is a fairly common notation. It means moved to level two and could not find a block. Uh, he had PNBs, pull no block, uh, on several occasions. He only got three of his six points on, on pulls. Uh, he slipped moving to level two, which is still not a loss, you know, and, and, and that's okay. He had a zone play where he did, couldn't find anybody to block. And, and that will happen occasionally, but it's still, it's still a missed block by this system. Uh, he got only three of six points on pulls in this game. Uh, two blocks in level two and a D for the game. So unfortunate, just not Zeitler at his best. And, and uh, you know, there's Pro Bowl voting going on now. I still encourage you to vote for Kevin Zeitler, who's who's having a terrific year. He's been the rock of the Ravens line throughout, but uh, but not a good game this time. Yeah, no, and those kind of weeks, they call, call those kind of weeks just happen. Like you said, not because he was going to ask kick or anything like that, just because, you know, it was just a mishap here and mishap there. Those things kind of tend to pile up to where, you know, you're not having your best game just because, you know, you were, you know, the offense, as, I would say offense as a whole, but, you know, you just, you as an individual just weren't having your, having your best day. Like I said, not really finding work and, you know, like to having those missteps here and there. But um, like I said, overall he's he's been really good this season. And um, like I said, I, when I when I when I saw that he he hadn't he hadn't never received a, a you know a, a Pro Bowl nod before, I'm like, man, it's like this guy's been playing for over it's a decade. Very surprising, and, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. When they when they first signed him, I just assumed that he had had at least like like one or one or two, just because like you know the high standard that you know that that he's accustomed to being talked about in in I would say rarefied air, but you know. Um, He's usually regarded as one of the better guards in the league, and you just assume that one of the better guards, at least once or twice, got you know got a got a Pro Bowl nod. And Pro Bowl nod isn't the end all be all for offensive line success or any any positional success. And you just think that a guy has been on some pretty decent lines over the years would um, have at least one. But um, hopefully, we can get him one this year. Yeah, very valid point, by the way, because he he played a whole bunch of years for Cincinnati, two years with Cleveland, two years with the Giants, now two years with the Ravens. Um. He has not yet, I, I do not believe, I'm trying to think if, nope, he's not been to Super Bowl yet. So that's, none of the, the Super Bowl has not obstructed his ability to go to the Pro Bowl, let's put it that way. It There may have been a time where he was an alternate and they asked him to to go as an alternate and he just wouldn't do it for some reason. But he's also, he's kind of, he's behind Mar- Marshall Yanda and they usually, I guess, get three guards to go to the Pro Bowl, if I recall correctly. I don't think it's four. I think it's only three from each conference. So if Marshall Yanda's got one of the spots already, he's in a hole. 
And then there's there's always good guards in the league, and Betonio and and DeCastro and players like that have been dominant for mm-hmm. for a number of years. That that uh, would be guys that um, and the New England guys for that matter uh, w- would frequently be there. No, is what it is, I guess. Yeah, hopefully we'll get it this year. Yep. Let's move on. And talk about Morgan Moses. Uh, a pretty good game for Morgan. Uh, one pressure only allowed. He did miss ten blocks, which is a lot. And a lot of the same thing is is just um, a, a mix of various things. Getting the three car pile up on the on the pull was was a, a tough one. Uh, but he did make four of his five pulls. That was the only one where he missed. It does include some courtesy points, being the trailer on a pull. They had him down blocking a lot. And that's a good way to pick up a sure thing block at level one and not have to worry in my system about necessarily getting the level two block. But he made nine level two blocks. So that's it's really hard combination to make nine level two blocks and still miss 10 blocks in the same game. And that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's really hard to do. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a guy that, look, that looks for work. And, um, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy that even after he's making initial blocks on time, he's still looking for somebody's head to take, uh, take off somebody's head, even though he got his helmet taken off in this game. Yeah. He there's on one of the screen on a screen pass that went left. Um, he was not part of any attempt to move into level two, which is something I noticed. And I thought part of me says that's a good thing because the the, the if he over aggressively moves to level two, we're gonna have an IDP called, and he's already been called for a couple this year, I believe. Didn't don't want to see plays ruined by IDP. Post snap penalties by offensive linemen extremely, extremely costly. So it's actually nice, good to see him hold back. But there was no attempt to make a block even after that. He, he didn't look to his right for who's who's the cornerback that I can cut off that might be coming back across the field, you know, to 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 make this play into a from a ten yard play into a thirty yard play. In fact, I think it might have been about a five yard play anyway. But uh, anyway, it d- did not see him make moving a lot on that. But had three highlights, which led the team. Most of those obviously are combination blocks, given what he's doing, um, and uh, B for the game. So he's he's certainly been everything the Ravens could have hoped in terms of the combination of durability and quality of play this year so far. Uh, I'm just real happy with with what the Ravens have gotten out of Morgan Moses. Yeah, and another guy who's like a great a great value signing. You know, three years, fifteen million. I mean, to get what you'd be getting from him this year for only five million is is an absolute steal. One of one of one of many this year. Yeah, hopefully they get the whole three years out of him. And, and you know, I'm already concerned that Zeitler might not be back next year. Obviously, a lot of players might not be back if the Ravens go all the way. But if the Ravens don't go all the way, they still want to make a run at it with Lamar under the tag next year. They're going to want some of these guys back. And Zeitler remains kind of a bargain at only $6.5 million more, I believe, in year three of this contract. So some players really don't want to lose that are, uh, you know, kind of still, I think, at risk of not being around next year because they're older guys who might retire. Yeah, and I, I don't think I don't think Morgan Moses is one of those guys. I think he, he's in year nine, year ten. I think he's a guy that you know yeah. that, that that's like a really like even even if he loses his starting job to Daniel Falele next year, he's still like a great. I mean, how often are you going to find a quality starting level tackle for five million dollars in the open market? It just it just doesn't happen. I mean, they got him for 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 a hell of a deal this past offseason, and I think he's going to be a guy that said even if Falele does emerge in year two, they're still going to keep keep around. Right. I, I agree. I mean, it'll be year three that the question will come up with with Moses of whether or not he wants to retire. He's at that age. And, you know, the last dollar amount is not that significant. He's collected most of the guaranteed money under the contract and whatnot. He's collected all the guaranteed money. Uh, and and he uh, he just says, you know what? It's not really worth it for me to hang around. If you want to negotiate a new two year deal, I'll do it. You know, but 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 as far as playing the last year of this contract, it might not, it might just not be worth it. So, hopefully, anyway, the Ravens get a, a good year, the remainder of this year, which is most important, and a big year next year out of him. And and it's not the big deal that uh, that he doesn't play out that third year with the team. All right, well, let's move on to the skill position discussion. And and uh, we've talked obviously about a lot of these players, but I still think it's worth it. And we have some that I can look at on the list and say, yeah, we need to spend a little more time on them. But you're the guest. Give me your comments on on some player. I'll try and respond to it, and then I'll go come back at you. Um, I mean, we've talked about him a little bit already, but Deshaun Jackson, man. I mean, this 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 really was the game where I'm like, yeah, yeah. See, this is why the Ravens signed him right here. You know, just the you know that that the show that the show that threat. Like, I knew he could still burn. 
you know, but you know, like the as far as like you know, getting the, getting over getting over top of the opposing defense, but to actually see it come to fruition, especially in a timely manner that it that it did. I mean, the Ravens really needed it too. Just got backed up, you know, got that twenty three yard or whatever whatever that catch to James Roche was negated, and to come back and get that get that um I mean, man, I mean, it was like beautiful throw. Great, great, great catch. I mean, like Lamar put it in the perfect place, absolute dime, the deep down the field. And if we can just get a couple of those a game, like I said, not even completed, but just like a couple of like, like two to three of those shots, maybe even four of those shots a game. I'm telling you, man, it just it'll open up so much more stuff for this offense under, underneath, which is where Lamar likes likes to like you know do most of his bread and butter is you know at the at the intermediate level. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was certainly exciting to see, and I, I you know when. Deshaun was first signed. I was, I would I wouldn't say was really excited, but at least I looked back at his yards per target the last couple of years, and they've been fantastic despite very limited opportunities. And I obviously injuries have played a, a big role in what's happened to him in his entire career, but but obviously in the last couple of years in so he played three games for Philadelphia, and then he played five games for Philadelphia in 20. And then last year, he did play 16 games for two teams, but only got 34 targets. So he's, he's only had 70 targets the last three seasons total. So 23 targets a season is practically nothing. But he's also averaged something like 11 yards per, maybe even more than that, 11 yards per target over that period. Not per reception, per target. And make sure I had that correct because I might be looking at the yards per reception. No, nope, I'm looking at the yards per target column. He's averaged over 11 yards, and so I put that on Twitter. And I, you know, I was at least that is something to be excited about. And somebody responded back immediately. But you know, he's going to get hurt the very first game. And you know what? Both of those things can be right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we've seen Deshaun Jackson now have five targets this season for 90 yards. So 18 yards per target, even outplaying that. And of course he was hurt and missed a week <laughs> after that very first game. So if, if that's what Deshaun Jackson is right now is he'll give us five targets every three weeks, five targets every three weeks, or has he actually played four? Has he actually been around for four weeks? I got to actually look at that. No, it's just been around for three weeks. So if he can, if he can give us five targets every three weeks for 18 yards per target, I'll take it. Take it yeah, RP. yeah. I mean, like you almost kind of like want to deploy him like a situational pass rusher. You know, yeah. he's the guy. That, he's the guy that comes on onto the field when you when you when you need to like I guess in an offensive sense to, to to back up the defense, which creates yep. more space, prevent prevent that. Like, hey, we have this legit deep threat over here. You know, because people don't want to give Devin Duvernay's respect as a deep threat, so they don't usually give him the kind of cushion that they do Deshaun Jackson. But you know, a lot of the especially a lot of these younger DBs, they've been watching Deshaun Jackson since they were in middle school and elementary school, and to the, think that like you're like, oh man, this this Djax, you know, it kind of gets in their head, and then like you, I don't think it's I don't think it's always part of the plan for them to play so far off of him. Him, but you'll see sometimes guys will give him 10, 12 yard cushions. And then, like he did on his on his first catch, he went away for like 12 yards because the defensive back was playing so far off that they were afraid of getting beat over top. Yeah, it's it's uh he he definitely is now not picking up the decreasing value of marginal targets that a lot of great receivers pick up. So if you're Mark Andrews, you have a lot of little five yard plays mixed into your thing where they're trying Lamar's trying to get a first down with you or uh if any number of other receivers Hollywood Brown the end of last year was getting a lot of crap targets uh from from Huntley because the ball had to be schemed out quickly underneath Mm -hmm. and and those don't those don't help your statistics at all but but Deshaun Jackson is not really at tremendous risk of getting low value targets anymore the Ravens need him too much to do exactly what you said to, to peel the top off that defense to get those safeties playing deep to force them to be at least honest about cover one play, if not cover two play. I mean, we talked about, I think we talked about in the first show that we're not going to see a lot of cover zero run against the Ravens. You know, not not this year. Sean Jackson on the field. Yeah. Not even just like like with that with Deshaun Jackson on the field, but also with the improved pass protection. So they are like, hey, this isn't Alejandro Villanueva and Tyree Phillips we're going against this year on the outside of tackles. So um, they the teams know that you know the Ravens like you know they they went they went back into the lab and had some answers and got healthier mm-hmm. on the offensive line. So you know the whole cover zero blitz thing isn't as big of a deal as it was coming into this year. 
Yeah. And and I think Jackson has got a little smarter about how to attack it too cuz what Miami did was drop players in the middle and Jackson didn't really have the answer for it, but they've they've done more. That was one of the things they really figured out was how to how to get the ball outside against those kind of looks very quickly. And uh, Jackson I think has become very good at it. So he deserves some of the credit as well. Yeah, I really like when he dumps the ball out to like Kenyon Drake. It's one of my one of my favorite plays of this often sometimes. Like I guess not favorite plays, one of my favorite answers to the blitz is like when he like sees it, reads it pre-snap and like, all right, bet. And then he moves he'll, he'll motion running back over to the side where the blitz opposite where the blitz is coming from and just or where the blitz is coming from and just dump it out, out there. Yeah. yeah, Deshaun Jackson, by the way, only played 10 snaps. In, in this game at wide receiver, where whereas, you know, Robinson got 43 and we saw 56 from DuVernay. I mean, those are, Deshaun Jackson's already a situational receiver <laughs> in exactly the way you've been mentioning. So well, let me move on. I want to talk about Robinson a little bit because he, he has not um, been the same player consistently, certainly throughout the season. This was a little bit of a tough game for him, certainly in terms of what he did. And it's not that he didn't make any plays. Uh, he did have a, what, one catch for 17, mm-hmm. but the drop was bad. You know, he was overthrown once. Uh, don't think it was a ball he, he was even close to getting to. It was one of the one of the, the, the throws that Jackson, one of the few throws that Jackson really left on the field during the game. Um, but I, I, I need to see a little more out of him than, you know, what he's he showed in this game. And his progression from from two weeks ago to one week ago with the nine nine for nine catch game going to one for four, extremely similar to what happened to likely going from whatever it was, six for seven, seven for eight, whatever it was down to about one for four also. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's the thing that, you know, I've been, I've been on, I wouldn't say on a, the Marcus Robinson hype train, but like, you know, he's the guy who like, if you watch the tape, he consistently gets open, you know, he's the guy that consistently gets open, consistently gets separation. He just doesn't, doesn't always get the ball his way or sometimes like Lamar it sometimes just feel like they're always not on the same page or he may short he may like short arm it or overthrow him, throw him a tad bit it's just like if they can get you know more consistent on those plays man I, I just feel like Demarcus Robbins can be a more of a factor in his offense than he currently is instead of like the once at once in a while guy he can be a consistent playmaker for this offense or at least a consistent chain mover because he's proven he can at least do that yeah all right, great. Well, your turn. Who do you want to talk about? Um, Devin Duvernay. You know they got him. They, like, they got him more involved this game. On, on, on like, I think he finished the game with like, what, like five or six touches, which is you know up from what like like four in the past two games combined. So I like that they got the ball in his hands in a, in a myriad of different ways. He had a horrible game as a returner. I mean, just his, his decisions yep. to to not field balls or to field certain balls that um, really kind of cost the Ravens at, at at times, and they were able to overcome some of them, but other ones like it's like. You just kept giving them. You kept giving their 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 punt team chance after chance after chance to pin you guys back by just not fair catching it. So um, as 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 especially aspect of the game, one of his one of his worst of his career. But um, it was nice to see him get more involved and in, on on the offensive side of the ball, pick up some nice key first downs for them. And I'd like to see them. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him carry the ball at least like five times a game. Cause when he does like good things happen when he touches the ball. So that'd be nice to see. And, um, you know, even, even uh, I was really disappointed when he dropped that, that I was like, look at the bubble screen or like a little quick, yeah. quick. Yeah. And like, like I felt like he could have got like a, at least a decent amount of yardage out of that play. And so like, you know, he has to do his part too, but I feel like if the Ravens keep scheming up more plays to get the ball in his hand. It'll have more confidence. He'll have more confidence. Tomorrow will have more confidence in him and it'll only benefit the offense in a good way. Yeah, I, I I basically agree with what you said about as a receiver and certainly as a returner in this game. I I want to see two carries a game from Duvernay. Um, I think that's enough because I think that puts the fear of Duvernay in them. That this is a team that uses a lot of their motion on the tight end anyway. They don't motion every play. I mean, no team does, but they don't they don't motion every play. Um, when they do, they're, they're, it's a lot of of Ricard motioning into the middle. It used to be Boyle's job. Now it's really Ricard's job. And uh, and sometimes it's 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 Duvernay doing the same thing as well with jet motion. Uh, when Duvernay crosses, he he crosses two ways. And you can look for this on the film. If he crosses just behind the lineman, we really treat him as a tight end in terms of of uh, or you know or wide receiver. You can call him that. But as far as on my score sheet, he gets scored as a tight end if he's between the tackles at the time the ball snapped, which is fairly typical. But he he takes another route a fair amount of the time, which basically puts him in position to take a mesh point handoff 
for Lamar. He doesn't have to get that ball every time. You just have to show it to the opponents. You just have to show him that motion where he's not orbiting back, but going back through that mesh point possibility there. And if you show them that five times a game and you give it to him twice, I think he really got something with Devin DuVernay. I think that's just, you know, I was I was up for him being in the backfield a few times because I think that would help uh, as well. But I think he's actually probably more valuable to the Ravens this year being on the outside, forcing a corner to cover, and then showing that jet motion and, and spreading the the, the uh, line of scrimmage horizontally as best he does with the with the run. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, like I said, that presenting that 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 um, horizontal threat would be it would be great. And I, I love what when he gets when he does get the ball on those sweeps. And it's almost like like you know he's he's too fast not to get to the edge, especially when he has a blocker in front of him. And it's like, especially those those plays when he gets like seven or eight yards, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, let's see some more of that. Yeah, uh, agree on that. Let's let's move ahead to one other player. Had a, had a great game, certainly deserves more discussion maybe than he's had so far as Josh Oliver. Uh, four receptions for 76 in this game, including the, the, the big touchdown to go ahead, the big 40-yard play on the right. Um, and and it was, uh, it was a, a nice set of receptions in space for Oliver. I don't think Jacksonville really respected him the way they should have. Uh, you know, we talked a lot of on the first episode about what the value was of him going down or not going down at the one yard line. I thought there was a lot and, and, uh, and it was something that, uh, you know, the Ravens really needed to get into the huddle to try and make sure they won the game with that. Uh, there is some question about whether or not he really needed to run out of bounds. Uh, at the end of the game or whether he could have gotten an extra four or five yards for Justin Tucker slid down called timeout himself and still gotten a uh you know a, a 63 yard opportunity maybe instead of 67 for Justin yeah I was wondering that I was thinking I was just thinking about that earlier today I'm like man if only he was a little bit faster or maybe he would have stayed in bounds but by the time he got by the time he got out of bounds what there was like one or two seconds left on the clock. So if he yeah, two seconds left on the clock, so would he would he have been able to get a to get the timeout called in enough time? Because we we've seen a couple occasions this year where like you know the guy like tried to fight for a little extra yards and then tried to call timeout, but the time had already expired and the referees weren't going to give it to him. So I thought like I was like other like, man, you know, given that there were only two seconds on the time, like could he have gotten an extra yard? Yeah, maybe. But that 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 kick was was more than just a yard short. So. Um, I think if, if they would have got the ball to a faster player quickly, then, then you know, possibly. And I'm not saying that I'm not sure how much faster he is or Mark Andrews is than, than, than Josh Oliver. But like you said, they were respecting him enough as a pass catcher. So I, I kind of like I like that play. You know, I, um, if only if only maybe if, maybe for card had it went down a little sooner on the um, on, on the kick return or, or maybe kicked it into another gear, got a couple more yards. Who knows what would have happened? Yeah, I thought you know, we had this discussion a little bit on the defense show, but I thought it was it was a very good return by Ricard. Um, I thought he, 14 yards for the four seconds was was just the right trade off for that, and it left them in a position where they could have a out of bounds play. It didn't even have to be an out of bounds play; they could have one play to midfield that they could have gotten off. And the fact that he went to Ricard, sorry, to to Oliver on the right side, I don't think was a function of that was the best receiver. I think it was a function of that was the only receiver that Lamar really thought was open. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, going for the, going for the out of bounds uh, spot was not the key thing there. He just, he, he probably, if he had just run North, he might've been able to get the extra four to five yards it would have taken for Tucker to make that kick. And we're using the fallacy of the predestined play as John Miller used to call it as the Orioles announcer was, was that you, you, you assume everything else works out exactly the same and Tucker kicks it exactly the same. Beautiful kick by Tucker would have been good from probably just over 60 yards anyway. Uh, Maybe as far as 63 or 64 even, but it it landed on the end line. Um, I think they were emboldened to take that chance because Tucker's last kickoff went to that side and went through the uprights. So that was a 75-yard field goal off a tee, but a 75-yard field goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sucks that his his streak of a fourth quarter was it yeah. fourth quarter in over in overtime kicks um got got snapped. But I mean, if it was to get snapped on any attempt, I'm glad it was a game winning one. I guess you know. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, like, like when that when that I was. 
I was holding my daughter when that um when that when he attempted that kick. I was thinking like, oh man, that's going in, that's going in. And then you could even see like Falele and and, and and Powers, they were already jumping up and celebrating, like thinking it went in. And then when it came just short, I was like, no. I'm 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 sure you're very careful with your daughter. You probably know not to scream when when she's probably sleeping as this is going on. Wouldn't want to have you spike her if you had made the kick. <laughs> Man. I'm sure that wouldn't happen, but if you, if you, would, have, if you would have made the kick, I probably would have. I, I wouldn't toss it through, toss it through the roof, but I definitely would have yeah. tossed her up in the air. And because like they're 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 in the Ravens' magical magical first half of the season last year when they were making all those comebacks, she was my magic baby, man. Whenever I was holding her, the Ravens, <laughs> the Ravens mounted a, a crazy comeback, especially during that, during that Colts game. All right, outstanding. Anybody else you want to talk about here? Um, we got a mailbag we can go to if there's nobody else you really think we've hit on. If we think we've hit, hit I mean, anybody else, um, outside of that drop, Andrews had a pretty solid game. Um, like I said, he would probably would have had that 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 um that long catch down the sideline if, if Arden mm-hmm. Key hadn't hadn't held his arms. But, um, he played he played solid. Um, Gus Edwards was was as 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 advertised. You know, in his first game back, you know, didn't he only averaged like, like three point three yards per carry, but he got those hard yards for the Ravens when they needed him. Yeah, I mean, it's the the touchdown run from a yard out where he stretched out over the bodies that was that was really good. And and not every running, well, I guess most running backs know to do it. I think there are quarterbacks who turtle up in that situation and probably wouldn't try and advance the ball. But uh, you know, Edwards certainly knew how to get more yardage when you're on top of other players, which was which was I thought good. Not happy about the fumble, but hey, who is uh, when it. Excuse me. When it happened, I thought this this is the Giants game all over again with the with the turnover deep in their own end. Same here. Score to get flipped. So yeah, let's go to the mailbag for a minute here. Look on pa- hashtag Film Study Mailbag if you would, and we'll uh, we'll take a couple uh, couple questions here. Um, let's see. This is good. Um, would like to hear from Huddle It Up Films at Huddle It Up Films says would like to hear both of your thoughts on how the Ravens should manage Deshaun Jackson's reps. Even at his stage in his career, he adds speed and veteran nuance to the wide receiver corps. Well, um, I kind of touched on it a little earlier. I like to see him use kind of like situationally, like like how they were just in Houston when he first got back from his groin injury, you know, like, you know, like minimal, minimal, I want to say minimal snaps, but limited snaps, maximum impact. So, you know, like I'm not saying only only bring him in on on obvious passing situations, but, you know, like, uh, like, like when they when they run some of those 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 heavy sets where they have more, more tight ends and stuff on the field have Deshaun Jackson be that ISO receiver or that guy like you said lined up in the slot and who kind of who kind of like gets slips behind the, the defense over top either 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 down the middle deep down the middle of the field you know crossing on, on a deep over route or on a nine route like just like you know have him in for the occasional shot or just at least to present the occasional shot so that you can open up some more things underneath. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think one of the nice things is that Deshaun Jackson coming in with fresh legs after there's already been three or four plays, particularly if they've been pass plays on a series, is almost unfair to the defense. I mean, you know, the, the, those those cornerbacks can be gassed. The safeties probably don't even like seeing it, you know, to, to come on because they know the pressure is going to be on them to to make the eventual coverage and tackle of a, of, of a player like that. But um, I, I really like him being used situationally. I like him uh being a guy they can they can bring on just a little bit but i think you nailed it on the head so we'll just move to the next question here which is from at nikki 622a which is thoughts on the drop issues and if lamar's overthrow related to less quality receivers inability to track the ball i feel that he didn't have such an overthrow issue with hollywood and he also, why do we get stopped in the red zone? So, uh, start, start with the tracking issue. Um, I don't think uh, I don't think Hollywood had a had a tracking issue, but Hollywood the main thing he had was a ton more speed than any of the current Ravens receivers, other than maybe Jackson. So you know it was harder to overthrow him. Lamar still did on occasion, but it was it was harder to overthrow him. And Regarding the red zone thing, I think we really cut, covered that early in the show, so I'm going to leave that one alone. But but what are your thoughts on the, on the ball tracking for the Ravens receivers this group? Um, I think I think had I think maybe on that on that second play with the second play of the game where he overthrew Robinson, I think Hollywood runs underneath that throw and probably and probably scores. You know, like you know, sometimes I felt like he kind of 
I want to say overestimates the speed of his receivers, maybe, or thinks that they can get the spots where, like, he's like kind of like like there's, there's been plenty of times where he's like like you know I'm gonna say plenty of times, but there's been a handful of times some key moments where he's had guys like with like ten yards of separation and still just puts a little bit too much air underneath the ball. And I, I don't always necessarily blame it on the receivers because, like I said, they they did their part. They got separation. You know, they're they're the the uh, the play is there, you know, right for the for the picking. It's just that um, maybe they don't practice that practice those plays as much in practice. I'm not I'm not sure. You know, maybe they practice Lamar's bread and butter in practice. In practice, maybe they, they rep his bread and butter in practice more than they do some of those deep shots because it just seems like they're always. He's I mean, his his deep ball accuracy has been has been way off this year. I mean, there's just been times where he's had guys like I said wide open. It's just like, oh look, this guy's not Hollywood Brown. Okay, he's not going to run underneath that ball. So you might have to take a little bit off of it, you know, in order to connect on some of those. I think having a guy like Sean Jackson is really going to help them um, help him help that deep accuracy a little bit more. Um, the more they, the more yeah. they go on. Well, you, I mean, you couldn't be anything but more excited about throwing a deep ball to Deshaun Jackson. So a lot of it is going to come down, I think to Lamar seeing the defender and trying to out throw the defender as opposed to trying to, um, throw open his receiver so you understand the difference between those two he wants to he wants to get the ball three yards past the defender as opposed to throwing his receiver to an open spot of the field when he's not sure that the, the that his receiver can get there with Jackson there won't be any question about Jackson being able to get to the spot before the defender on the on the I mean you know obviously things can happen you get injured on a play think you can but He's, he's going to be throwing the ball when he's even and leaving, or maybe he's even gone already. And he's going to throw it to a spot that he knows the defender can't get to. And that spot is typically going to be one that's within the catch radius of Deshaun Jackson. So I think it's going to give him a lot more confidence on those long balls. I don't think, I, I don't see how he couldn't be more excited and end up being more efficient on those throws uh, when, when Deshaun is the target. Yeah, I definitely think that 62-yard bomb they completed, it's going to be a big confidence confidence booster for their deep passing game going forward. Like I think you're probably going to see more shots of to Deshaun on those plays earlier in games just so they can kind of, kind of jump up on top of teams early instead of needing it to um, come, come through for them late. All right, one more question. This will be the last of the night. We've, we've been here for over two hours, but this is a good one. I always love talking football with you, my friend. Uh, Cole Philippou, at Cole Philippou, says – do you think Ronnie is at greater risk of getting rolled up on because he gives ground while blocking? Both roll-ups have been, I think he's talking about the original James, was it James Hurst still playing with that rolled up? No, James Hurst rolled up. Somebody, uh, TJ Watt, TJ Watt had blocked somebody into his, into his ankle. I, I don't think it was Hurst though, but, it, but, but something is sticking in my mind that it was Hurst, but it was in 2020. I don't think Hurst was still with the Ravens at that point. So I don't, I don't know who it was. All right. Well, anyway, um, do you think he's at greater risk of being rolled up because he gives ground while blocking? So we've often talked about that on the show that, you know, he mirrors so well and he does a good job of giving a little bit of ground so that he can still maintain his position relative to a pass rusher. Lamar's very comfortable with that method. He's very comfortable getting that, getting that soft bump from that side uh, that can occur as long as, uh, Stanley can keep the guy's hands and and uh, and body off him, and it, is that potentially a, a risky blocking strategy for Stanley as opposed to say really being more aggressive in terms of getting his hands on a pass rusher and trying to aggressively push him out of a pocket? Oh, man, that's 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 really a tough one. Um, you know, you kind of want to you kind of like don't want to mess with an all pro left tackles technique, especially if this is what kind of got him there. And this is like what, what he's kind of refined over because he's not, he's not the same guy he was, you know, when he came into the league in 2016, when he was started, started off, you know, like, you know, the, with, you know, replacing Eugene Monroe, you know, so he's, he's definitely grown as a, as, as a blocker. And then it just with the transition from, from Flacco to Jackson, you kind of have to learn how to, you know, kind of adjust your technique to your quarterback. And I feel like with like with Lamar, he's perfectly fine, like you said, with that you know kind of like that bumping into him kind of thing. But when he's the, when he when he when he hits when he hits the ground like that and gets blocked into him, um, I don't 
I think those are just like kind of fluky occurrences more so mm-hmm. than any indication of like, oh, maybe something he needs to fix with his technique because you don't want him to start changing up to try to or play scared. So that's when that's when you kind of like leave yourself susceptible when you leave yourself susceptible to you know getting beat by certain inside moves or counters or something like that. Yeah, I think when you look at at Ronnie Stanley's career and he's been in the league what for seven years now, so he's probably had you know over five thousand uh, plays. Uh, 5,000 blocking plays. I could actually look at this in terms of pass blocking snaps, but it looks like he's had, you know, 2,600 pass blocking snaps, 2,600 and change, and two of them went wrong in the way that you're talking about. And he's Maybe he's been rolled up other times. So maybe, you know, if you've seen something, it would be fair to, to, to point to more of these actually occurring, but it's such a rare occurrence. There's no way statistically we'd have enough evidence to say, this is something we should plan for and expect to happen again. So I'm, I'm with you on the fluky occurrence thing. Good question, though. Uh, great questions tonight. Uh, we got to call it here. Uh, Josh, just love talking football with you, my friend. And, and uh, anytime you can come on, whether it's for a short or a, or a, one of the big shows like this, always appreciate having you. Yeah, that was a blast talking football with you, man. Um, it's, it's one of the that's one of the more fun things I do as far as covering covering this stuff is coming on podcasts like this and having great conversations, great great content. All right, really appreciate it, Josh. Other folks out there, uh, if you want to do a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. Otherwise, try to pass this pod along to one other person you think as a Ravens fan might like this kind of content uh, and show them how to bring it up at work on their computer off Film Study Baltimore. You can play it directly off the website. Don't have to download anyone. So that guy who's my age, 59, doesn't download podcasts onto his phone like a normal person, go ahead and help him out. Just play it off the website one time for him and and get it going. Anyway, uh, really appreciate you folks listening in for for as long as you have on these two episodes. I hope you caught both of them and both uh, defensive episodes as well. Josh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.